Hi all, Jacob Austin here, owner of QS.Zone, and welcome to episode 28 of the Subcontractors Blueprint, the show where subcontractors will learn how to ensure profitability, improve cash flow, and grow their business. Today's episode, number 28, is going to be about cash flow. 28 episodes in, and it's about time I started covering this subject. And that oddly means that I found 27 other things to talk about. And when I pressed record on the very first episode, I could think of about four. So I've done all right. Oddly though, cash flow was one of the four things I did think about. So I don't know why it's taking me this long to start talking about it. And it is obviously a mission critical thing to running a business. You've got to have cash to pay the bills. You've got to have cash to draw a salary. You've got to have cash to pay your employees. It really is the lifeblood of a business. And you would have thought, therefore, it should be top of the priority list. But for small businesses in construction, is it just a worry too far and another deadline, another thing to monitor on top of the demands of your project and that meeting with the contracts manager with the steely eyes, wanting to know where your labour is? It's understandable sometimes it can take a bit of a back seat, but taking the eye off the ball is how insolvency can creep up on people. A 2021 survey showed that 92% of construction companies had some kind of cash flow issue owing to customers not paying them on time. And that is a subject that really grinds my gears. I mean, imagine not paying your staff on time. Imagine the staff members of the main contractor not getting paid on time themselves. What kind of uproar would there be if all of a sudden people who paid their subcontractors late had a taste of that same medicine and, oh look, sorry, it's on the next payment run. And on that subject, an article published in the Construction Enquirer this week is actually reporting that payment times are getting shorter, suggesting the top 43 main contractors are taking on average 30 days to pay, that being a day faster than a year ago, And they're also saying that only 16.5% of invoices are settled late. And they're taking their figures from Build UK. And I have to take them a bit with a pinch of salt, because my presumption is that these are the dates that the contractor has decided that the payment has fallen due rather than the subcontractor or the supplier. Because a survey last year of a cross-section of companies working within the construction industry was reporting that same percentage around 50%. But there is some good news in that things are improving. And there may well be some more good news on the horizon, as in 2025, contractor payment laws with more stringent reporting requirements should be coming into effect, including not just metrics on how many invoices are paid to terms, but also the value of those invoices. Because as the Construction Enquirer reports, there are companies out there who are happy to settle their smaller invoices rather promptly, but they still hold on to large sums. And I wouldn't put it past some contractors for insisting that each line on an order got invoiced separately, just so that they could demonstrate that most of their invoices get paid on time, even if that meant breaking down a box of 5,000 staples to buy them one at a time then they could pay 99.9% of their invoices on time, but still hold on to that half a million pound one, but their statistics still look pretty good. Anyway, before I turn every news story into a bad news story, the article is overwhelmingly positive, 
with 22 of the top 43 contractors paying in less than 30 days. And a particular shout out to Landlease, who have a 0% not paid to terms statistic, which is very impressive for a company of that size, especially when you couple that with an average payment terms of 21 days. If non-payment terms is something that you're suffering with, do go back and check out episode number five of the podcast, where I talk about payments and give you some tips on how you can use your contract to your advantage to get your hands on your money. But back to cash flow. So where do you start with cash flow? You'll hear various people telling you that you should be cash flowing for different periods of time. Probably three months is about a sweet spot for it. From my point of view, once you're getting beyond three months, you might be able to have a guess, but it is just a guess. And one thing that you can bank on whenever you do a cash flow is it 99% of the time will be wrong. We've just explored some payment statistics for the industry. Payments can and will be made late. The work that you complete or the program for that work will change and your cash out the door will change as well. But if you don't plan at all, then you're boxing in the dark. And the whole point of this activity is so that you can plan for times when you're going to be ahead, plan for times when you might have a bit of a shortfall, when you might struggle with payments that you need to make you see them coming on the horizon and you put contingencies in place for them. Now, having worked in main contracting, I've tried all kinds of models of cash flowing. And what I've typically found is that the standard S-curve that everybody refers to is not far wrong. And I've tried working out the value of each day of work for an operative and really in detail pricing my program so that I could get a detailed understanding of what's coming in and when. Because at the time, our business unit's profit and loss was based on when we turned over cash. So we wanted a fairly accurate cash flow to be able to get a handle on when we could draw down profit. And all I can say is, the more detail that I went into with it, the more onerous it was in terms of updating it, and it didn't get me any greater or lesser accuracy than doing something on the back of a fag packet. So there's no way for me that I would be telling you to do that. I'd be telling you to do something pretty simple. And we want to be paying attention to three metrics when we're doing a cash flow. Firstly, it's cash in the tin. And presumably, there will be a level of cash in the tin at the start. And this is where I would start. So I'd have three columns of numbers and one column of description. So let's say we put the numbers first. Column A, we're going to start with your cash in the bank at the top. Column B, we're going to call your money in column. Column C, we'll make money out. And column D, we'll use for a simple description of what the transaction is. Now right at the very top of column A, you're going to type your actual cash in the bank. And then every cell below that is going to have a really basic formula, adding together the cell above it to the cells next to it in columns B and C. And then what you want to do is you want to start adding in that detail. So what are the sums that you're going to get paid? So this is the value of the work that you're working on on site that you're going to put in your valuation. You want to factor in the period of time that it's going to take for you to get paid for that. And you want to put these credits and the costs in approximately the order that they're going to happen in. And as an absolute minimum, try and get them in the right week. And what this is going to do is it's going to give you a red flag. When you're paying out money, your cash in bank balance is going to go down. When you're paying in money, 
the balance of course goes up but this is allowing you to track how much it goes down before it goes back up again and whether it goes all the way to zero or even past it so it is important that this exercise is updated and at least speaks to your cash in balance figures you don't want to be duplicating things saying oh, i'm going to get 10 grand in from billy the builder when billy the builder has paid you already it's in the bank it's part of your balance figure so you're going to want to update it and accuracy is important here and this is going to be particularly important to you if you have a particularly fluid or fluctuating model say if you're buying in large volumes of products and you only get paid when you've fitted them all you're going to see big negative swings and then later on big positive swings and it is worse for some of the organizations you might be working for so take house building for example they obviously only get paid when they sell a house so they've got negative 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 movements all the while buying the land doing the groundworks doing the superstructure getting it watertight getting the plastering done getting it painted fitted out cleaned once all of that money is spent hopefully they've got a buyer lined up otherwise it might just be sat there all that cash invested in it and nowhere to go but when you understand the swings within your business that's when you can start to build a picture of what you need to do about them and another reason why this might be important is if you don't have a lot of credit facility if you're relying on positive cash flow to fund your business all the while then it stands to reason you need to know where you stand to make sure that you're working within it so as I say, once you understand the picture of where you are, you can then start planning around it. And there are some things that you can do to improve your situation. First thing that you can do is do some stress testing. And you're doing this by looking at each of the costs out and each of the payments in and changing them with a bit of a what if. So for payments in, what if each customer paid you late? Maybe it's a week, maybe it's 10 days. If they pay you late, how does it affect your cash flow position? What if you bought kit in for the start of a job and then just before you're expecting to go on site, you receive a call from the site manager to say, we're not ready for you, you can't bring your stuff here yet. And that knocks back your income for stock that you've already bought. What if your prices go up for your raw materials? If any of those tests leave you in a less than comfortable position, then this is your opportunity to put a contingency plan into place but thinking one up and having your understanding of it when the pressure's off rather than at the 11th hour when it's all on the line. The next thing that you can think about is what one day means in terms of cash in and cash out. This changes your focus between cash flow and profit. So what if you could collect in all the money that you are due one day quicker? What does that enable you to do? What if you couldn't sell your materials as stock on site for one day longer? What if you could hold on to your money for one day longer by paying all of your suppliers one day later? Hopefully you can see some differences by asking these questions. And then the next step is to try and put some things in place to improve your situation and start realizing those one day differences. The easiest thing you can do is to not make payments until you are contractually obliged to. Now that might sound obvious, but there is a tendency to pay bills as soon as they come in through the door to have the confidence that they are settled. Whereas a more sensible approach might be to arrange the payment, but queue it in for the deadline day of when that payment falls due. You can renegotiate longer payment terms with your suppliers. You might be able to use something like a business credit card. 
and take advantage of 45 days of interest-free credit before paying that down. You might be able to introduce stage payments for some of your outgoings rather than a one-off lump sum at the end of a contract. Certainly HMRC or finance companies, these kind of places, are willing to offer payment profiles that guarantee them getting their hands on their money if you have a short-term need to improve your cash flow. Next, easier said than done, make sure you get paid promptly. One thing that you can do is to credit check contractors that you're going to work for. If you have any doubt about their ability to pay you in the longer term, ask them for amounts to get you going up front. And if people look shaky on a credit score, the likelihood is that they are. And as much as it might hurt, don't be afraid to turn the tap off if you think the credit score doesn't feel right, doesn't look right. A really obvious one. Issue your invoices or your valuations on time with the correct information and to the right people to process your payments. Then chase outstanding debts and give a particular focus to customers who often pay late or whose invoices have been unpaid for the longest. Sometimes there are disputed invoices or disputed parts of your application. Consider whether it's better to negotiate over payment, certainly part payment of those sums you want on the basis that it's better to have some cash in than none at all. You can negotiate prompt payment discounts. Contractors will often shorten their payment terms in return for a 2.5% discount, say. And you could set out from the start with a short payment term outlined on your quotation. And then the contractor may come back and say, we'd only be able to do that for the very right price. But at least you've got a mark in the sand with the terms that you're expecting. Communicate cash flow issues within your team. If your staff are all on board with the current situation, then as a team you'll be better armed to deal with cash flow challenges. Together you'll know when to pitch in and chase payments down. Another thing you can do is get some proper insights into your accounts. And by that I mean understand which payment terms which contractors are on and which payment terms your suppliers downstream are on. Know and understand who your bad payers are so that you can manage them, you can chase them up thoroughly and regularly. Know which invoices are overdue and by how many days. And whether the incentivization you've given to your contractors, i.e. early payment discounts, are actually having the effect that they are set out for. And I would challenge your contractors to take back the discounts if they regularly can't meet the terms. There are also things you can do on a site level, such as managing when you're ordering in materials so that you don't have a large surplus at any point in the month, or if you do need a large amount of materials, that you time the delivery so that you can include them in an upcoming valuation. So your large deliveries want to be in the one or two days in the run-up to valuation day, and that then means that you can recover that cash as quickly as possible so that you're not tying up large sums of money in materials that you're not being paid for. Of course, if you do a lot of off-site construction, you will often have to order in materials a long time in advance before you can get paid for them as materials on-site. And in this case, it's even more critical that you have a just-in-time approach. You also need to be ready on those occasions when the contractor is late in starting, or late in starting your trade rather, that you challenge them and ask for payment for materials at your works. These materials have to be bespoke to that job, and completely fabricated ready to be installed. There is usually a vesting procedure involved which demonstrates that the insurances are in place, that the materials are palleted up and ready to be delivered to site 
that they are clearly marked for the job in question and the contractor will usually want to come and visit the works and check the quality and count up and value what you've produced. Each main contractor has their own spin on vesting. Some of their procedures are so long-winded that it's almost not even worth bothering with. They're just so difficult to get to the bottom of. And if that is the case, you need to challenge the contractor on them. Most of them will insist on what their procedure is, and that might mean that you can leverage them to get your materials delivered to site early, and you can play on that they've made it so hard for you to get the materials vested that they need to help you out because you've got cash tied up in their stock for their site, and because they are running late, you need to be paid for it. And so they need to help you with a way around. If their vesting procedure is particularly unreasonable, there might be a further option of renting some storage in the contractor's name, insuring it in their name, and then being paid for that material as stock on site on the basis that it's now stored somewhere that is in the contractor's control. If you're needing to raise cash, then you might want to consider an inventory of your assets, looking at assets that you're not using a lot or for the use that you're getting from them maybe you could hire in for periods when you need to use that asset so that you can then sell your fixed asset and hire back in when you need it and there are sale and lease back arrangements bearing in mind of course that these are one-time deals to dispose of an asset but then lease back the equivalent asset and what you're doing is you're exchanging immediate liquidity for then a recurring higher cost but similar things can be done when you're looking to purchase equipment. You could use asset finance as a means to buying. Then rather than outlaying one big lump sum, you're buying your essential equipment in monthly installments. Of course, there are fees involved in all these arrangements. So you need to weigh up what's in your best interest. Is the large cash outlay worth it to avoid the ongoing cost? Or would you rather have the liquidity in return for a small fee? And final options would be speaking to your bank to see about any temporary finance arrangements that you can put in place. If you have significant materials outlay, then you may be able to set up something called a trade loan or working capital loan, which can cover you for the purchase of a product for the period in between you needing to purchase it and then selling it on to your end customer. You've also got things like overdraft facilities for those emergency shortfalls. Of course, these are things that you would need to get financial advice on and be sure that they're suitable for your business. But it's only by assessing your cash flow situation and monitoring what you're likely to have in your bank account and as we discussed doing those stress tests to see how issues might affect you. By doing these things, you're getting a picture of what you can afford to do when things aren't quite going your way, how long you can stand these situations, and how long you've got with your normal level of cash in the bank before you then need to start looking at other options. And your aim ought to be having those options laid out for you for in case you need them, rather than getting to a time when you do need them and starting from scratch, but with the added pressure of that shortfall of cash chasing your result. And as with all of these things, cash flow can be as complicated or as simple as you want. And I would advocate for doing it as simple a way as you possibly can do, but that captures all of the information you need to make those decisions. There's no point in overcomplicating a game of snap. If you set up your cash flow how I've described earlier in the episode, then it really is as simple as it gets, but it will give you enough information to show how those ins and outs affect your cash balance throughout the course of your three-month period so that you can use that information to make your decisions. And of course, the more frequently you can look at these things, the more likely it is that you can spot the tip of the iceberg when you're still in time to navigate around it 
rather than heading for a full-on collision. I hope that's given you something useful to work on. My mission is to help the million SME subcontractors working within our construction industry. If you've taken away something of value from today's show, I'd love it if you'd share the episode and pass on that value to someone else who would benefit from hearing it. And thanks for tuning in. If you like what you've heard and you want to hear more, please do find us at www.qs.zone where you can subscribe to our training and support system for like-minded subcontractors. In there you'll find templates, how-to videos, interviews and more. It's less than the price of your cup of coffee per day and you can cancel anytime. We're also on all your favourite socials at qs.zone. Thanks again, I've been Jacob Austin and you've been awesome.